welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we are going to be looking at the case of Potanina and Potanin. The citation for this case is 2024 UKSC 3. And the case that we are looking at this week is, as the name sort of hints at, a family law case involving parties from Russia. Potanina and Potanin were both born in Russia in 1961, and got married in 1983. Unfortunately, the marriage broke down and was dissolved by a Russian court in 2014. Now, when the couple first met, they were not very well off at all, but following the breakup of the Soviet Union in the 1990s, the husband accumulated great wealth. Following the divorce, there was a legal battle in the Russian courts about how the wealth should be divided. It was eventually decided that the wife should receive half of the assets owned by the husband. That sounds fair enough, but the problem was that a lot of the wealth was technically held by various trusts and companies, and these were not regarded by the courts as marital assets. All of this is very interesting, but at this point you are probably asking what this has to do with the UK. Well, after the divorce, the woman obtained a UK investor visa and bought a flat in London, and since 2017 she has been habitually resident in England. Legally speaking, under Part 3 of the Matrimonial and Family Proceedings Act 1984, the courts in England and Wales are able to grant financial remedies after an overseas divorce. However, in order to do so, the court has to consider if such a remedy would be appropriate based on the connections of the parties to England and Wales, compared to other relevant countries. Potanina made an application to the court in 2018, but the rules of court make a couple of important things clear. Firstly, permission will only be granted if there is, quote, substantial ground, end quote, for making the application for a financial remedy. Secondly, the application for permission is generally made without notice to the other party. But if the application is then granted, the other party then has the right to apply to the court to set aside or vary the order. In these proceedings, the original application for permission was granted. But then when the order was served on the husband, he applied to have the order set aside. Following another hearing where both parties were represented, the judge decided that he had been materially misled at the first hearing, and that the test under Section 13 of the Matrimonial and Family Proceedings Act 1984 was not met. As such, the judge set aside his original order. The wife appealed to the Court of Appeal, where it was decided that an order should only be set aside where there is a compelling reason to do so, and that the compelling reason must be demonstrated as a so-called knockout blow to the original application. The Court of Appeal concluded that on this basis, the judge had not been entitled to set aside the original order. The husband appealed to the Supreme Court, and that is where we pick things up. The justices began by noting that a central feature of procedural fairness is that both parties get an opportunity to make arguments in respect of an order. The problem with the approach taken by the Court of Appeal is that it meant because the husband was not able to demonstrate this knockout blow, the judge could not hear any arguments from that side about whether the test was satisfied for making the order in the first place. 
This led to the strange and perverse result that the judge's original order was restored, despite his conclusion that the test for granting permission was not satisfied. The majority of the justices felt that the law does not require such a backwards approach, which is, in any case, inconsistent with the relevant rules of court. After all, the rules allow a party to apply to have an order set aside on the ground that the test for granting permission under Section 13 of the Act is not satisfied. There is no talk of having a knockout blow beforehand. The whole idea of a knockout blow originally came from a 2010 Supreme Court decision, which later became precedent despite being obiter at the time. This notion was also discovered to be premised on a fundamental misunderstanding, and was held to be unlawful because of the way that it was contrary to the principles of fairness and procedural justice. Instead, the alternative party should have a clear right to apply to have the order set aside. In those circumstances, the onus should remain on the party making the application to satisfy the test. Ultimately, the husband's appeal was allowed, and the case is to be remitted back to the Court of Appeal. As I briefly mentioned a moment or so ago, this was a majority decision and was only decided by 3-2. to two. With that in mind, I think it is briefly worth going over the rationale of the minority in this judgement. Lord Briggs and Lord Stevens wanted to leave the knockout blow test in place, as even if it was obiter, it was part of a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court and was later endorsed by the Court of Appeal. Since that time, there have not been any concerns raised regarding the test or issues with its application in the family court. They raised concerns that removing the knockout blow test would undermine the general rule that applications for permission are brought without notice, and would remove judicial discretion as to whether it is necessary to hear from the respondents. Furthermore, the minority were not concerned about issues of fairness or procedure, because this is only an application for permission to seek a financial remedy, and so any substantive issues can be raised at full hearing. You will have your own opinions on which side of this argument is correct, but for me the minority seem to confuse the absence of any complaints about a system with the notion that the system is fair and working well. It might be fine to push these substantive issues along the line to a full hearing, but what is the point when the judge in the case has found that he was materially misled by the wife in the original hearing? The law allows respondents to challenge the order that has been made against them, but the previous way of working turned that challenge into a farce where it would be almost impossible to have the order set aside in all but the most extreme circumstances. This makes the challenge system almost pointless in its nature, and I'm not clear why a court would not want to hear and evaluate the evidence based on submissions from both sides. This presents an opportunity to clear things up at a much earlier date and save on money and time in court. In a broader sense, it will be interesting to see what impact, if any, this decision has on so-called divorce tourism where wealthy litigants try their luck in English courts after getting divorced abroad. This has proven to be a rather popular legal tactic in recent years, and not everyone involved in the family justice system is a fan of this brand of forum shopping. The decision in Potanina 
certainly has the potential to put a halt to many of these applications before they even get started. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to mensound.com who provide the music. A lot of podcasts have a Patreon where you can help to keep them going with a small monthly amount, but I want to make sure that you get more bang for your buck, so I have a Substack newsletter. There is always a free option for the newsletter if you are not able to offer financial support, but if you are able to do so, then those who pay for the newsletter get more editions from me each week and a free ebook that is designed to make writing essays on a law degree that much easier. If that sounds like something you might be interested in, then go to uklawweekly.substack.com. That's uklawweekly.substack.com. There is also a link in the description to this episode. I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!